Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cup Radio, and tonight we get to talk football. And so I've got an author on the phone, and you would probably know the guy because his name is Todd Geralds, and his father was Tandy Geralds. And if you saw the movie Woodlawn, this is the Todd Geralds that wrote the book. And uh, we're here talking about a different book tonight, which is kind of a, to me, it's like a follow-up of the movie, Matter of fact, I, I can envision this because he wrote it in, in the chapters are actually week one, week two, week three, and it's like a devotional, uh, or it is a devotional, but I can see it being perfect for a church to take with the man and the boys and go week by week and then at the end have a big football party and watch the movie Woodlawn and, uh, you know, have your pizza and your Cokes and everything else. Um, or, or FCA. I mean, I thought it would be perfect for FCA, too, to do something with. But uh, how are you doing tonight, Todd? I'm doing great, Todd, and I, I really appreciate that. That's uh, kind of some of the stuff that as I was doing the book, uh, kind of prayerfully dreaming about uh, where I'd love to see God work with it, uh, those were some of the thoughts I had. Um, and uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. And, and definitely the FCA had a, a big impact on me and uh guy from the FCA at a uh, football camp when I was playing for my dad shared Christ with us and, and I prayed to receive Christ. Uh, so definitely a, a place that I would love to see uh, God use this, this book. And, uh, and so anyway, I'm doing great tonight. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, another thing I want to say about Woodlawn, um, first of all, that's one of my favorite movies. And I know there's a lot of people that have not seen it because I've, I've been asking at some of these hospitals I've been going to it. And the majority of them say, uh, no, no, I, what are you talking about? And so, uh, <laughs> you know, your book is out there and the movies out there. And I know the books are usually better than the movie, but the movie was so good that, sure. you know, if, if the book is even better, uh, they're really <laughs> in for a treat, you know? So, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I really, um, I love Andy and John Irwin, the guys who did the movie, and uh, there's a close uh, kind of kinship there. Um, the character in the movie, played by Sean Astin, uh, his name is Hank Irwin, and uh, that happens to be Andy and John Irwin's uh, dad, and he was the chaplain for my dad's football team. So I've actually known Hank Irwin since I was a little boy. And um, and I can't really say that the book is better than the movie. I think that they are, are different. Um, the book really um, is just a straightforward history. You know, this is you know exactly how it happened. And and for people who want um, you know a, a well researched um, you know account of what happened and uh, and also just you know from a first person perspective of someone who was there and saw a lot of this, that's the the book. And then the movie. Um, does an amazing job of sharing the truth of the gospel and has amazing football footage. Andy and John Irwin both worked at ESPN filming football and stuff in the beginnings of their careers. And uh, it's a very well done movie. Um, very good actors, John Voight, Sean Astin, 
C. Thomas Howell, Sherry Shepard, really good actors. A guy named Nick Bishop played my dad, and it's really well done. Um, they take some liberties, you know, with uh, artistically and, and, and because of the constraints of time and everything else. But uh, for the, the purposes they had for the movie, um, I thought they did an exceptional job. And it, it really, you know, these are the same guys that did, um, I can only imagine, um, which is playing now to, to sold out theaters still, you know, after being on the, uh, in, in the box office for weeks and weeks. So um, very, very high quality uh, filmmakers and, and a, an amazing story. Yeah. Now the book that we're here to talk to you tonight about is called Always Fall Forward. And I forgot to mention that my father, Wayne, is on the line, too. How are you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. No, I'm just <laughs> listening to you guys. Uh, you know, like that, like that movie of, of uh, you, you know, Woodlawn. I mean, there's so many things that I remember. And once in a while, the angels are crying. This kind of <laughs> comes out of that movie, you know. It makes you, makes you laugh. Uh, no, this... Uh, Always fall forward. I, I read the book, and uh, to me, is like, uh, well, is is it mentions football, which reminds me of my old coach in in high school, Coach Martin, and he uh, he was one of his favorite saying, "Never say die," you know. And and we went all the way to semifinals in state, but um, you know, he he would always have somebody to pray before in the locker room before we went out to the, to the field. And, uh, but so many things remind me of, of, of the coach. And, uh, so no, I don't want to start talking. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead and and continue with your, well, I appreciate it. I, you know, really it's, um, so much of my life, um, as a young man kind of revolved around the game of football. It was the family business with my dad as a coach. And, um, I came to Christ, you know, at football camp, and and it's such a, a passionate thing in the South anyway. You know, here in Alabama, you have, uh, you know, hordes of people who pull for the Crimson Tide, and then my family, uh, we're we're orange and blue. We're Auburn fans. Dad played ball there, and and so it's just kind of a, a crazy thing. But what I, the older I got, the more I realized just that, you know, all of life is meant to direct our eyes to our, our Lord and, and Savior Christ and, and uh, God our Father, and that he intends for everything to be a picture. Um, you know, he talks about a man and a woman and, and the picture of Christ in the church. Uh, he intends for us to see the truth in the things that we watch. And I realize football is a great vehicle to be able to communicate a lot of these things. And so really just went back to a lot of the things that my dad had taught me and saw how those principles, you know, were true and, and what, and then went to scripture to, to really elaborate on the, that. And I think it, for men, there's not a lot of devotionals that, you know, that are written by men for men and, and about things that we um, really are passionate about, like the game of football. And um, so it was a real natural thing for me to be able to write and, and a lot of fun doing it. Now, when you wrote the book, Woodlawn, did you ever expect it to go to, you know, become a movie? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> the way that all started, and I, I really do look to God um, and say, you know, he knows me well enough to know uh, that 
he wanted to do it in a way where I could get no glory for myself that I, I could absolutely point to him and say, this is all God. And it, and it really is <clears throat> the, um, the way that I originally started. And I apologize. I've had allergies. And that's the reason I sound a little hoarse right now. Um, when I, my third daughter, I have four daughters. It's funny being raised by a football coach and playing, you know, high school and college football and, uh, I'm surrounded by girls, but I, my third daughter was born when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, <clears throat> and um, I really started realizing, you know, my my young daughters, they may not get to know their granddad and his story, and so I wanted to put that down and um, and basically kind of memorialize it and and really just get the story down so that I could tell my daughters and. Um, I was living in Pennsylvania, and I started traveling back from Pennsylvania to Birmingham, actually North Alabama at the time. Dad lived up near Florence, Alabama, Tuscumbia. <clears throat> and um, I was traveling down and took a tape recorder and would record conversations to have him retell the stories that he had taught me, you know, told me about all my growing up years. And, um, and so I started kind of piddling, to use a good Southern term, um, with a book you know, and playing with this. And I wanted to write a book and I had written a bit when I got a call from Andy Irwin and Andy said, um, and I knew who he was cause I knew his dad. And, uh, Andy said, we'd like to do a movie. And I knew what he wanted to do a movie about. And, um, so, uh, my dad had passed away at this point and, uh, he said, we'd like you to come in and let us film you telling the story. And so I met up with them at their studio, which is actually at the home of one of the guys, and um, let them record me telling the story. And at the end of me telling the story and them filming it, they slid a contract across the table and said, well, we want to do the movie based on your book. And um, I was like, well, I hadn't even finished it, (laughs) you know. And um, so it was one of those situations where God dropped it in my lap. And, and so I couldn't take any credit for anything. They wasn't like they read my great story and said, we want to do this movie because your book is so good. They knew that the story was amazing. Uh, they knew that what God had done was amazing and they wanted to run with it. They simply wanted um, it to be authoritative. They wanted it to come from um, someone who'd been there, you know, an eyewitness. Um, and, um, and I was more than happy to oblige them. And so um, I actually got help from a guy named Mark Schleyball, who has um, written a number of things and works with ESPN, and he really did a lot of work um, with me to get it done. And uh, we got it done, and, and they got the movie done, and, uh, you know, here we are. So um, before I'd ever written a book, I already had a movie deal and a publisher. Um, <laughs> so, so it was uh, definitely – I wouldn't tell people, you know, to plan your writing career out um, after the path I took, because it's not going to happen that way, probably. Well, yeah, that's amazing to begin with. But, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, and, and like I said, there's so many people that have not seen that movie, which is just amazing to me. But, uh, I mean, your dad was at the forefront of the civil rights movement, basically, in, in you know, in the school and in, in, in the yeah. coaching and all kinds of things. And, uh yeah, and, I wasn't you know, growing up. It was, it, you know, when you're little, like I was at the time, you know, I was a, a small child, um, <clears throat> you don't know any different. You know, um, 
because you're going through it all for the first time. And so you, you have no context. You don't, everything's kind of, uh, you know, relative. I, um, I didn't know that that wasn't how it, you know, things always were. So, so for me, um, I thought it was a normal thing for a coach to wear a gun. You know, my dad had to wear a gun to school. Um, and, um, he was, um, attacked and, and, and various things there. And, I didn't know any different. That was because I was experiencing it all for the first time. Um, he got out of coaching for a while and sold insurance, and um, which is portrayed in the movie. And it's a fairly funny way they transitioned to that. But um, I, he got back into coaching when I was a sophomore in high school, and we moved up to North Alabama, and I um, was kind of exposed to the reality of racism again, uh, where I had been kind of, um, sheltered from it um, once he got out of coaching. Um, we had moved out into the country, and I, I wasn't around much racism. And he took a coaching job at a, at a school called Deschler. It's a really great school. I graduated from there. And But in the years prior to him coming there, there had been some racial fights and some things that were kind of race-based where there was a lot of tension. And it made me realize, hey, you know what happened over at Woodlawn? That was a really big deal. And um, this was when Dad went back in coaching was around 1984. And so I was thinking, okay, here we are, you know, nine, ten years out from when Dad was coaching before and this stuff's still going on. Um, man, that was a pretty remarkable thing that happened at Woodlawn. And um, so I finished high school and, and really saw some cohesion start where um, when dad was coaching at Deschler, the team came together and a lot of us became Christians. I did um, uh, at camp, very similar to the way he did it <clears throat> at Woodlawn, having camp with us all together. And then I went off to college and uh, played ball and I was at Jacksonville State and I heard people's stories from all the little towns around the southeast where they had grown up and I realized that there still was a lot uh, in the way of of racism and uh, and things that people had dealt with. And, and again, it just kind of magnified to me how amazing this thing was that happened at Woodlawn. And, um, and you know, that's the thing is I, one thing I didn't have as a six-year-old um, that I had as a college-age student was some perspective and to really fit this into the context of what had been going on in, you know, early 1970s, Birmingham, Alabama. And, then I had my kids, and I think I really realized, again, that everybody, when they have children, or, or most people, kind of take stock of where they come from and everything else, and and the, kind of the gravity of the Woodlawn situation and everything that was going on in Birmingham uh, was kind of magnified at that point, and that was when it really, I think, finally, I realized this is, this is, some, this is a story that really needs to be told. This is something that people need to know about. And um, Hank Irwin, the Irwin brothers' father, had been telling me that for years. He and I, after after I finished college, I worked with him for a while in the radio business, and um, and he'd been saying, you know, the best movie idea out there is a Woodlawn idea. And he's, you know, said this for 20 years. Finally, the the brothers uh, listened to him and and made a, an amazing movie, and uh, and have followed up with yet another one. Obviously, well, I, you know, I love the Irwin brothers. I. I I've seen, I think I've seen all their movies. I just saw, I can only imagine, uh, like last week, 
and it kind of made my wife mad because I was stuck in Monroe, Louisiana, and <laughs> so I I went and saw it by myself, and she's like, uh, I kind of wanted to go, you know? <laughs> but I said right. I said, well, I'll be glad to go again. It was it was that good. Absolutely, um, I'm with you on that. But speaking of that, you know, you you talked about your four daughters, and you mentioned that in uh, I think it was week 27 on how to treat women, or yeah. I think you honoring women. Uh, yeah. That is something that really needs to come back. I mean, I was even I mean, thinking about my son. I, I was thinking about, you know what, I need to sit down and read this chapter with him um, on mm. the way he talks to his mom. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I, uh, I had this conversation with my youngest daughter last night. <laughs> um, just that, you know, I think that um, I, I just think that we've, we've lost um, the, the respect and the honor that, that is due um, women and you know, a lot of that I think has to do with men not being men. I, I think that um, there have been a number of things culturally that have uh, contributed to um, men losing their way and, and not leading and uh, not loving as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, that's, <clears throat> I think that it's an easy thing for us to read Scripture and to see where um, it calls for women to submit to their husbands. But we miss that next verse where where we are to to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, um, you know, the absence of fathers in the home is is a big thing. I think that contributes to it. Um, and and just the modeling of authentic manhood, what it what it means to be a man. You know, uh, I was telling a group of men that I meet with on Saturday mornings this, this past week a lot you can just about throw out everything that you see portrayed as as manhood in the movies and on television today just throw it out and let's go back and look at who jesus is jesus christ is the ultimate man uh, he's all god he's all man and he lived out true masculinity true manhood and part of that was knowing how to treat the the weaker and when we say the weaker sex we we mean that physically they they're weaker um but god intended for man to be an initiator and for women to be receivers of things and we've kind of relegated that and given that up um but if we love women the way christ has called men to love women and honor them and respect them um I think that the whole part of submission and everything would be much, much easier uh, for a lot of folks um, uh, because self-sacrificial love, as Christ did it, um, is, is very appealing, very attractive um, to people. You know, I hope your, your book also inspires, uh, you know, especially some of these moms listening or dads listening or whatever, you know, get a copy of this and give it to your coach because I, – I mean, I, I'd like to see more coaches take on this role like your father did. And, and, you know, my dad talking about his, I mean, his coach was good friends with Tom Landry and, uh, you know, just, just some of the stuff that as you go on in life, I mean, I'm sure, you know, out of, out of the 52 weeks, what is your, your favorite one or, or what's the one you probably use the most, the lesson that you've, you've learned hmm. well you know it's funny um to to come up with the, my favorite one i really i enjoy the story um uh, follow your blocks <clears throat> is one that i like a lot um 
It's probably a little more um, gets into a little bit more technical football uh, terminology and stuff in it, uh, which I think a lot of guys will like. But it has to do with um, the fact that God designed us um, to follow Him. We were designed to um, to desire to know the right way to go, and um, and we. But to do that, we need a shepherd. Um, and so that particular chapter, it's chapter or week 22, um, is, is talking about Psalm 23. And, you know, I think I, I, I joke that sheep get a, a bad rap sometimes. I think that people talk about how stupid they are. That's not true. They were just designed to be led. They were, they need a, a shepherd. They have a herd mentality. They follow, uh, whomever is leading them and they can have a good shepherd or they can have a bad shepherd. And this particular chapter um, talks about our desire um, and need to to follow God and to and to have our way uh, shown for us. Um, it kind of gets into following your blocks. That as a running back, you wait to see this little gap that's created because the blocks um, seal people off, and you're able to shoot up through this this hole or whatever we call it a hole, a gap, whatever you may call it. But but that's God has has laid out for us our direction in Scripture, and and also leads us by the Holy Spirit, and um, so that that particular one it's it's funny the what an illustration I use with the sheep there was a a couple of shepherds in um, I think I want to say it was Pakistan or no it was Turkey it was in nice Istanbul Turkey. And they decided to take a break and went down into town, left their uh, herd of sheep, their flock of sheep, out in a field grazing. They thought they were fine. So they went down to have some lunch or some breakfast and left this large flock of sheep. And one of the sheep wandered off. And true to form, the sheep who were designed to follow, followed behind him. And one by one, they all walked over the edge of a cliff. Uh, like I want to say, yeah, it was 1,500 sheep went over the edge of the cliff. It actually killed 450 of them. And at that point, there there formed a big fluffy pile of dead sheep. And so uh, wow. the, the other uh, the other 1,100 lived um, because they were landing on top of the others. But it it tells us, you know, especially when you you speak about coaches. Uh, and, and young men playing playing sports and things, the opportunity that we have to lead young men, um, that they're desperate for a leader, but they will follow anyone. There's a reason Jesus compared us to sheep. It's because we're the same way. We, we are designed to follow, and we can have a good shepherd or a bad shepherd, and we have that opportunity. A bunch of us, you know, as young men can say ourselves, man, if, if but for the grace of God, I would have walked over a cliff too because I was following um, the wrong shepherd at times, um, but the need for for good leaders and, and men to show young men and boys, you know, how to live and how to become a man um, is just is critical. And, um, and and it's also it's the whole reason we were designed is to take people with us, and um, and it gives us a purpose for life in a in a world that looks pretty purposeful at times. Excuse me, looks pretty purposeless at times. Is what I mean. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, chapter like week thirty-two, the yep. blue chalk 
your dad yeah. going through chemo uh, mm-hmm. was one that really um, touched me because, yeah. um, you know, I work in the hospital and I, I see a lot of that. And I was just amazed how the town just came came mm-hmm. together and supported yeah. him. But it, it was because of his love, because yeah. they, they knew that, you know, especially the day that he showed back up with the, the blue chalk on his face and, and <laughs> you know, and... And they, you know what I mean? I know in their minds yeah. they're thinking, wait a minute. So he just went and had chemo and he's out here on the field with us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's another chapter that I think that really dovetails well with that one. It's uh, a life well lived um, and, or evidence of a life well lived, I think is what it's called. And, um, you know, dad at the end of his life, when it, you know, my mom was healed of cancer. And God has the power to heal, and he still does. Um, and yet, for whatever reason, most of the time, when someone has cancer, they go, I mean, that's it's inoperable or, or whatever else, uh, when they're stage four like dad was, most of the time, it's going to go its natural course, and, and they're going to go and ultimately be healed as they go to, to be with their father in heaven. So... That being said, I, I knew that it was possible for my dad to be healed, and he knew it too, but he still was making preparations, you know, uh, for the end of his life. And as such, mom would know, are there things you want to do before, uh, before you, you know, leave this earth? And he said, I want to go coach those boys and hang out with y'all. And that was y'all being family. He wanted to be with his wife and his kids when he could and his grandkids and but he wanted to go do what he'd been doing for the last 30 years. And I think those kids, when they, you know, they're upset because their cell phone wouldn't work or, you know, you get a flat tire or whatever else, and then you see a guy that's got uh, blue chalk circles drawn around places on his head where they were zapping those with, you know, uh, with radiation to get rid of the, the, the cancer in his brain but he's, he's out there on the football field being with you. It kind of brings things into perspective. And um, dad was really tough, but he, um, but he really did love. And that, that chapter um, really reminds me of something my pastor, Chris Hodges, says. And he um, said it at a marriage conference I went to recently. And that was, love is not what you feel, it's what you do. And, um, you know, I think that we, we all get so caught up in our feelings these days and we let ourselves be controlled by how we feel about things when, you know, God so loved that he gave. Um, uh, greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life. It's, it's what you do. God demonstrated his love for us in that yet, yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's, all of these things are things he did. Um, feelings are a part but they don't define love what you do. And dad chose to go love those boys by being there for them. And uh, man, what a great, you know, um, testimony to them that, that life is worth living when you have your priorities in order and when you make it about other people. Yeah, definitely. Um, dad. Yeah. What do you want to, what do you want to say? No, well, I, you, you, you know, every, I enjoying everything I hear and, you know, God <laughs> is love. And we need to get that love of God in us so that we can touch others the same way. You know, I, I, yeah, I agree with, you know, I, 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 I understand what your dad did and, 
because God is love, and and that's when when you have that love inside of you, you're gonna show it, that's and right. uh, and that's the way uh, in life, you know. Amen. Amen. How how old was your dad when he came to the Lord? Let's see. Um, dad would have been uh, 22, 29. He'd been about 32 years old right wow. around there. Yeah. He's, I mean, that's, he's, that's really unusual, and, and especially, I mean, look at the difference he made. And he, you know what I mean? He, he didn't grow up in a church. He didn't uh, walk right. with, with Christ and all this stuff. And what a difference he still made in his life. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's, that's the thing is, is um, if, if, it was, if it was intended that um, we come to know God and then, um, and, you know, even if whatever your age, he could zap us the second that we profess Christ and, and we go on to be with him in heaven. Um, but he, he intends for every, every breath we got, we're still useful to him. Um, there's not a, there's not a retirement age uh, for us in terms of, of sharing the love of Christ. Now, I, I think if you're in a career out there and you've got money put away where you can retire, great. But now go and, and use the rest of your time to love people well, because um, that's what <clears throat> this world is desperate for is, is to, is real love. I mean, we talk about love a lot, but again, you know, love is what you do, not what you feel. Um, love is actually, you know, when Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four and 35, he said, a new commandment I'll, I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. So again, he's setting the bar pretty high. He's not just saying some feeling or anything else. He's saying, you know, as I've loved you, which meant he gave himself up for us. So a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I've loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. I actually struggled with faith um, a bit as a young man, like with doubts about things. And I think everybody at one time or another, <clears throat> you know, questions things here and there. But, you know, the, the study of, of, of apologetics is the study they, they is learning why you believe what you believe and being able to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, Jesus said, Hey, the best proof you got, you know, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. He's telling us that if you want people to believe this, if you want people to see that this is true, love well. And man, what a difference you can make. You know, you can write a book, you can do a movie, you can do, these things, but if, if you want to have an impact on the world, love that person next to you. Um, it, it makes all the difference, and it, and it shows us the truth uh, that God is love, just like your dad, uh, Wayne, Mr. Wayne, um, said there a moment ago. I, you know, I don't want to go too much. Is there anything you'd want to, sh- you want to share before we, you know, uh, stop tonight? I, I, you know, i got to say, that uh, you know they need, they need to get the book you know always fall Thank forward you. and they they need to go see the movie if they haven't seen it. Um, sure, Lawn is just an excellent movie, and like mm. I said, I can see churches doing this with the man um, because mm. we need some real man in the churches. And you know, yeah, and that really I would I would say you know the the to leave you with just the thought that. That God is, you know, I'm, I've written uh, these these two books, and and we see these movies, and they're they're really inspirational. But to understand that the 
the author of creation is, is Jesus Christ, and that he is he's weaving this amazing redemptive story throughout history until he returns to take us home to be with him. And and his his word tells us that he has laid out for us good works for us to walk in. He, he's created these before we were even created for us to walk in. He's got this storyline that he's wanting us to participate in, that every one of us has a unique role. There's not, there are no more, there are no special players uh, in, in the thing. We're all special to God and we all have a unique role and they're all infinitely important in the story and the way that we live those out and the way that we have our eyes open to God's hand at work around us is, is, is two things, and they're simple, obedience and love. And Luke 16.10 tells us that he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. There are a couple of people in, that weren't mentioned really in the movie. Um, Wales Goble is a guy um, who's actually, uh, the new book is dedicated to him and another guy, and a, another lady named Miss Miller. Um, they had very small little things that they were doing that were o- obedience to God that led to enormous outcomes. And God basically says, you obey and love, leave the extraordinary and the amazing to me. You do this, you love people and you obey me. You don't have to aspire to the incredible or the extraordinary. I will take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And every one of us has that potential. And, um, and that's, that's a reason to live. And, uh, and so that's really what I want, I'd love to live, uh, leave with you guys. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for coming on. And, and thanks, Dad, for coming on. And I'm going to say, you know, that's a wrap. <laughs>